Hey, howdy, space nerds. This podcast is a production of WMFE Public Radio. Public Radio is supported by our listeners. And right now we're in what we call a silent drive. It's an effort to raise the funds we need to produce the programs you use. Like, are we there yet? If you want to support this station and, in turn, this podcast, think about a gift of financial support. You can visit WMFE.org slash support, or you can call one 800 785 2020. Any gift helps, but remember we've got our very own mission patch with a gift of $32.10. I know it sounds weird, but let's break it down. Three, two, one, zero. Get it? Lift off. All right, I know it's cheesy. Anyways, thanks for your support. All right, on to the show. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question Are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. The Humans to Mars Summit wrapped up this week in Washington, D.C. It's a yearly meeting of the minds to chat all things Mars and what it's going to take to get people there. It included panels of folks talking all things space, from mission architecture to social media. And NASA's new administrator, Jim Bridenstine, spoke about his vision of human space exploration. Well, it's been a busy week for me here in Florida, you know, with that Falcon 9 launch and all, so I didn't get a chance to check it out myself. But luckily, our guest this week kept a watchful eye on the summit. And joining us for a wrap-up via Skype is Lauren Forsick. She's the founder of Astrolytical, a space consulting firm. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Give us the rundown. Um, what is the Humans to Mars Summit, and kind of how does it fit into the sphere of of all these different conferences and, and space-themed meetings that happen uh, throughout the year uh, across the globe. Humans to Mars Summit is an annual conference. It was in Washington, D.C. this week. It was three days long. Um, it is. It might be the only Humans to Mars conference, certainly the biggest. I, I don't know of any others. Um, and so it attracted a lot of attention, especially where it is in Washington, D.C. They were able to bring in a lot of different speakers on a variety of topics, um, from NASA's plans to commercial plans to even things like art and um, science fiction TV shows and um, things that we don't often talk about and don't talk about enough in, in space conferences, in my opinion. So it was a good, diverse uh, pool of speakers. Uh, what are some of those things that, that you don't think that are discussed enough in space conferences? And, and what did you keep your eye on? Um, well, one session? of the things that they wrapped up the conference with yesterday was a conversation about how do we bring this to the world? How, you know, we are in our own little bubbles in the space community, and we want to bring the idea of humans to Mars or whatever exciting uh, space topic we're talking about to the general public. And how do we best do that? And um, that was one of the things that I feel like this conference focused on more than others that maybe we should talk about a little bit more, which is not necessarily um, STEM education, which is talked about a lot, but bringing this excitement that we feel in the space community to everybody else, sort of what you do in, on your show, right? Mm -hmm. So you are bringing this to the general masses to get them excited about, oh, humans to Mars, we want to do this and have, you know, TV shows or movies or uh, ways that we can interact with the public to get them excited too. And that's a really great point because I, I noticed you tweeted about that um, earlier this week about breaking people out of those bubbles and, and getting them out of um, you know, basically their blinders are on. I mean, what, what were sort of some, some of the things that uh, that came up in this conference to break out of that bubble and, and get people interested in, in stuff like this? Well, of course, it wasn't the main focus of the conference, but they did have a couple of different panels. They had a panel on a, um, a TV show that will be airing soon. They had an entire panel on art 
And that last panel I talked about, about how to get this out there. And a lot of things they talked about in that last panel was um, inspiring people to participate in some way, whether it's a train like a Martian uh, little challenge or whether it's um, just finding that um, awe in the stars and, and what we do or th- imagining um, some kind of way that we can make this exciting for you to imagine that you're in it or people to engage with the people who are going to be going to Mars. And of course, we don't have any solid plans to send humans to Mars at this point. It's always a, a what they call a horizon goal. Mm-hmm. It is something that we are looking forward to in the future and, and in the near future, but not yet. And so getting people excited to continue that uh, mission, to continue thinking, yes, this is a possibility. We could have humans living on another planet someday very soon, within hopefully within my lifetime, it, it, definitely within my children's lifetime. And, I mean, is there that appetite out there outside of these these um, aerospace and space fears? I mean, do you think that, that, that it's it's there? We just we just need to tap into that that interest with people outside of space nerddom, I'll call it. <laughs> I, I definitely think it's there. Now, it's probably not universal, right? So there's probably people listening or uh, others who might say we're spending too much money on, you know, whatever in space when we should be spending it on Earth. But of course, all the money that we spend to go to space or to, to plan to send humans to Mars or to the moon, which is the big plan right now, um, is spent on Earth. And it is spent to better humanity when it comes to, for example, one of the things they've talked about in one of the panels was life support systems. So mm-hmm. how do we get people to live in this remote world and that directly relates to earth and how do we get humans to better live you know better water better air quality um uh, hygiene how do we do that in remote communities or underdeveloped communities here on earth so everything that we do to prepare to send humans to another world directly helps people here on earth and i think that's something a point that's often lost yeah that, that's a really good point and, and and that's what i um kind of encounter in in my conversations with people is why are we going to mars but it's really kind of the um the, the side effects you could say of of getting to mars that that we can bring back here to earth all, all that spin-off technology right yeah, that's one reason. And that's a very good reason. And for the people who are skeptical about why we focus on this, um, that is a very good reason to bring up. Of course, it's not the only reason. There's also uh, a lot of people bring up the fact that we need to diversify our habitats. So if we have an emergency on Earth, then we have another population on Mars. Um, other people talk about how it's within our blood, in a way, to be able to spread humanity outward. And so exploration is just something that we do. And right now, we only have really the exploration of the seas and the exploration of space left to do. And space is is infinite. Right? We're talking about Mars, which is one of our closest neighbors. And, um, you know, if we develop technology, we can go out past our solar system. So we're talking about... Um, they call the moon the stepping stone to Mars. Well, Mars is the stepping stone to the rest of the solar system mm-hmm. and and then the, hopefully the rest of as far as we can go. Well, Laura, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts um, of putting humans on Mars. Um, what were some of the things um, that, that stood out to you when it comes to the actual plans to get humans to Mars? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's an excellent question because <laughs> what really struck me about that is the fact that Right now, we are full of ideas with no consensus. And that was actually a reoccurring uh, topic in the conference about how um, there are 
thousands upon thousands of architectural designs on how we can get humans to Mars, different mission concepts, different vehicles, different timelines, and there is no consensus on how we do it. And, and I would argue that there doesn't need to be a consensus, not yet, and maybe not ever, um, because of the diversity of players involved. So, for example, NASA definitely needs to have a consensus for its own plans, right? So NASA has been back and forth, depending on who is in power in the presidential administration and Congress, about what their plans are for human space exploration. And right now, the plan has shifted back to sending humans to the moon mm -hmm. with uh, a, a settlement of some kind on the moon um, with possibly an orbiting space station uh, around the moon or in the vicinity of the moon. They call that cislunar space. Mm -hmm. And um, the exact architecture, the exact way we do that is still not even set. So even our closest neighbor, the moon, we're, we're, we still don't even have an exact plan for that either. Mm -hmm. But um, looking outwards to Mars, there's so many different plans. And I would actually think that that is actually a, a good thing because depending on what we learn along the way will help us determine the best way to get there. And I mentioned there were a lot of different players. So NASA isn't the only player. We've got other countries involved. So the European Space Agency is involved. Um, Russia and China are involved, uh, not directly with us on this yet. But uh, they they probably will be big players in this in the coming years and decades. And then, of course, the commercial companies. So you've got SpaceX, which Elon Musk has said from the beginning, their plan is to get humans to, to Mars. So mm -hmm. <laughs> there's all kinds of plans. You've got um, the big rockets being developed right now by SpaceX and by another company called Blue Origin and another company called United Launch Alliance. And so um, commercial players are um, going to be influencing this as well. I'm going to push back a little bit on something you said earlier where you said there doesn't need to be a consensus because there's diversity of players in this. But do you think that there is a way that we can get humans to Mars without having one giant conglomerate all working together to do the one thing? Or, or do you see this as multiple kind of missions to Mars by different players, the private industry, the public industry, different private companies? How do you foresee the future of, of humans on Mars? Well, I'm going to say that I can't foresee the future. I don't have a crystal ball, but just my guess based on history is that um, the United States went to the moon. And, and of course, we, we had partners to help us do these big missions, but we didn't need the entire world united to be able to do that. And so I would say that based on the, the financial responsibility involved, it would certainly help if we had a wider consensus, um, both public-private partnerships and international partnerships. It would help, and we probably will, but it will never be global. And I think that's just the nature of humanity is mm -hmm. we, somebody needs to be the champion and go forward and, and hopefully bring other people with them. But it's okay if others do their own thing. Mm -hmm. Do you see someone emerging as that champion in this particular political or uh, commercial climate? Uh, so for, for Mars, it's a little farther out there. I'm not sure, just based on the timelines, who's going to be a powerhouse uh, 25 years from now. Um, for the moon, definitely. For the moon, I definitely see um, you know NASA working with big companies like uh, United Launch Lines and SpaceX and Blue Origin, the ones that actually are working right now on those big vehicles I mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, working with international partners that have already mentioned that they want to go to the moon. Uh, 
um, such as the European Space Agency and Russia. And China is, is not a partner at this point, but they have also said that they want to send humans to the moon. So beyond the moon, it's really hard to predict because, like I said, the moon is going to dictate how we move forward to Mars and, and it's much farther out. Mm -hmm. And right now the resources aren't dedicated to Mars the way they are to the moon. So it's, it's so hard to predict, mm -hmm. but I, I, I definitely foresee it happening. It's just when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. I couldn't tell you. Gotcha. Is there anything else that, that stuck out um, from, from the conference uh, that you were watching? Yeah. So one of the major topics was um, trying to understand how we, best move forward with the current moon plans. And so one thing that um, was was really great was that the new NASA administrator, Jim Bridenstine, gave a speech. Um, and he had given a, a, a speech the day before on a different venue uh, focusing on the moon. But this speech that he gave at the Mars conference focused on general NASA plans to eventually go to Mars. And, and one thing that struck about, about that is that it was a very in my opinion, diplomatic speech about how we can do moon and we can do Mars and, and we, we can do them both in tandem. And, um, it was, it was great to hear that. I, I personally, um, want to go to both locations. I, I, I agree that we should go to the moon and I think that it's great that we can go to Mars and it's just great to hear, um, the NASA ministry, the new NASA ministry. We've been waiting for so long to have mm, yep. leadership within <laughs> NASA to be able to say, yes, we're going to do this. And, come up with some uh, ways that we can do this. Let me ask you this, Laura Forsick. Does, does it help that the new NASA administrator is a politician himself? Does that help him navigate the, the ways of, of bureaucracy a little bit better than previous administrators? A certain Florida senator will disagree with me, but I actually do think <laughs> that it is a benefit that the new NASA administrator comes from a political background because one of the major responsibilities of a NASA administrator is to talk to uh, Congress and to talk to the president and or in this case, the vice president, since Mike Pence is the one who's really involved in this. And I think that um, Jim Bridenstine has the background that is needed to interact with politicians in a way that a more technical uh, administrator wouldn't be able to. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let him know that you said that, too, next time I see him. <laughs> Um, speaking of, of Jim Bridestine, I mean, was was that speech? I mean, what did you think it, it had some some meat and potatoes to it or was it kind of, you know, long on goals and, and short on details? It was a rallying speech, so it was short on details. But what um, struck me there was his support and it was support for um everything that the community has been talking about. And I say this in terms of the wider community. So it had something for everybody in there. And so you can look in that and say, okay, so where are the details? Where's the money? And that's exactly what I did. How do we do this, uh, this mission, this big goal that you've just laid out for NASA with the limited funds? But they also had Representative Ad Perlmutter also give a speech at the conference. And he spoke about how, in his opinion, the United States has the resources to do these big missions. So it's not an end. It's a, it's not an end. It's, it's not just moon or Mars. It's not just ISS or mm -hmm. going outwards. It's all of the above. And not or is what they like to say, right? Yes. And not or. I couldn't think of the, <laughs> what that was. And not or. I, I, I got to ask, you know, I mean, do you think that that, you know, maybe this conversation is coming full circle and w the resources are there. Is it just a matter of convincing 
the general public that this needs to be a priority? Or is there something else that is stopping these organizations and these private companies from from getting to the moon and getting to Mars? What's the roadblock here, Laura? The roadblock has always been it's challenging. It's it's rocket science, right? That's the joke, right? Um, and so when you're looking at space, it always takes much longer than anticipated. It always takes much more expensive than anticipated. And patience is a virtue that many politicians and many people in the public, including myself, don't have. And so um, making sure that we continue that momentum of moving forward with the finite money that we have, with the um, goals that we have and not get too sidetracked, that's the challenge. And I'm talking also in terms of uh, commercial companies as well as government com- uh, government organizations. So commercial companies have their stakeholders to worry about, their customers to worry about. And, and looking at the long term, the long view is a challenge for anybody. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, outside of the Humans to Mars Summit, what what's next? What are you looking forward to uh, for the rest of this year uh, in, in terms of space news and, and, and what's on the horizon? Yeah, so... One of the exciting things about the recent uh, SpaceX activity is that it's ramping up and it's encouraging other companies to ramp up their activity as well. So you're seeing uh, SpaceX lead the way in terms of the frequency of launch and lowering launch costs. And you're seeing that reflected in other companies such as United Launch Alliance. And in Europe, there's the Ariane Space. They are all following suit with trying to be competitive in this industry. And you're also seeing bigger players like uh, Blue Origin start to ramp up their activity as well, uh, which is very exciting. And outside of launch, you're seeing the, the small sat revolution is what they call it. So thousands upon thousands of small sats um, are manifested to be launched in the coming years for various reasons. A lot of it has to do with getting internet to the masses or communications or earth observation. And it's exciting to see that amount of activity that's going to increase. But of course, that brings challenges with making sure that the the space traffic management, as they call it, space situational awareness is okay. You don't have too many satellites up there that's going to bounce into each other or create a problem with space debris, space trash. Uh, So it's just exciting to see all the activity ramp up finally. And of Mm -hmm. course, as someone who wants to be an astronaut myself, I would truly love to see space tourism coming in on its own. Now that won't be this year. Mm -hmm. A lot of news articles are saying it'll be this year. It won't be this year. Uh, But space tourism is something that's going to happen in the next five years. And and I'm very excited to see that finally take root. And we're starting to see kind of competition for um, launch facilities as well. You're, you're in Atlanta and I mean, Camden, the launch facility is coming online as well. It's pretty interesting to see different states trying to get into the space business too. Yeah, it, it's it's an amazing problem to have that there are almost too many launch sites or potential launch sites that are happening. Um, what you see is, is almost every state in the country is either has a uh, launch site or is in the process of trying to create one. And that's very exciting. And here in Georgia, we've got Camden County in the south. Uh, southeast uh, coast right by Jacksonville. Um, And and of course, Florida has the main one, but they also have uh, other eyes on other opportunities out there for launch within Florida. Shiloh is an example of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just see launch sites popping up all over the place. And with increased launch activity and increased numbers of companies, numbers of players involved, 
you know, I asked George Neal a few years ago and he said, it's a great problem to have it, you know, the more the merrier. Now other people <laughs> might disagree and say, well, look at the examples of launch sites that don't do anything for a decade. And that's, that's fair assessment. But at the same time, thinking in the long term, thinking 50 years from now, yeah, I can definitely see launch activity happening in every state. If you build it, they will come is what a lot of these people are thinking, right? Well, that's not economically, you know, makes it, it, it doesn't work that way, but um, it, it's the hope and mm -hmm. not everybody's going to succeed, but some will. And those ones that succeed will um, benefit from starting early and, and right now or even five years ago is when we should be looking at this. And, and so it's really exciting to see it finally occur. And the ones that are starting now are going to be the ones that succeed. Now, I want to go back to something you just mentioned. You wanted to be an astronaut. I want to be an astronaut as well. I think it's a little too late for us to go through those conventional <laughs> methods uh, in becoming astronauts. But there is space tourism. where There's still some hope there. Um, but you recently had, had a little one yourself. Um, do you foresee um, that, that your children are going to be the Mars generation, or is it still that far out? I absolutely see that my kids, I've got two of them right now, and I absolutely see them flying in space. In fact, I want to fly with them. When I am old and gray and I can afford to buy tickets for my entire family, I'm going to go up in space. And whether that's just suborbital or whether that's a trip to the moon or a space station, a private space station, I don't know. I don't care. I just want to get there. Now, whether or not my children's generation will go to Mars. I do think so. How they do that, where they do that, when they do that, I don't know. But I would, I, I truly believe that the Mars generation, I spoke to a group of middle school students earlier this week and told them about um, how they will get the opportunity to go to Mars in their, in their lifetimes. And I truly believe that. Well, I hope to have them on the podcast soon telling uh, me about their upcoming mission to space. I can't wait to uh, interview the Forza kids. <laughs> Excellent. Well, give them another 20, 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'm not still here in 20 to 30 years. <laughs> well, Lauren Forsick, she's the owner of Astrolytico. It's a space consulting firm, and she joined us via Skype from Atlanta. Laura, this was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for speaking with us. Thanks so much. Support for Are We There Yet comes from the listeners of WMFE, and our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can join the conversation online. We've got a Facebook page. Just search for Are We There Yet podcast, or you can take to Twitter. The show is AEWTY Mars. Are We There Yet Mars? And I'm at Space Brendan. You can find more space news online at WMFE.org slash space. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.